Well, to be able to actually sense, perceive, remember, open up to, you know, what is actually happening in the moments uh, of, of your life. And, you know, we come into the world prepared to feel, to explore, to sense, to remember. We need to because we have so many things to learn. But you just watch it again back to a neonate, you know, at the point at which they finally can reach out and grasp things. They're going to taste it, smell it, lick it. You know, they're going to, you know, even in ways that are unsafe, parents are trying to keep them from doing things because they, they're so interested in exploring and sensing and feeling. And, uh, you know, but then when the mind really gets going, that yearning to feel that we come into to a life with. Your inner voice has been drowned out by the noise around you, but you've always had a deep desire to make a difference. And now you're ready to step into your greatness and develop the identity you need to build towards your ultimate goal. Welcome to the Mindset Horizon podcast. Making the world a better place by unleashing human potential will help you create your own reality by increasing your self-awareness, cultivating an unstoppable mindset, and finally finding the passion, purpose, and true self so that you can live the life you are always destined to live. Now, welcome your host, a lifelong learner and growth mindset savant, a former architect turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Tibor Nagy. What is up, Mindset Nation? Welcome back to the Mindset Horizon podcast. I'm immensely grateful for each and every one of you who tuned into this podcast today, the Mindset Horizon podcast. And if you feel like you're getting value out of these conversations, I would highly encourage you to join the Mindset Nation Facebook group, a global community of Mindset Horizon, where I'm there every single day to support you, to answer your questions, either if it's connected to the podcast episode topics or if it's connected to your goals and aspirations in life and business i am there to support you for free every single day on top of all that i go live every thursday in the facebook group where i interview one of our community members we talk about mindset personal development and entrepreneurship but more importantly i wanted to interview the members of the mindset nation community so that we can get to know each other even more You can join the community at MindsetHorizon.com forward slash MindsetNation. Once again, MindsetHorizon.com forward slash MindsetNation. Or simply go to our website, MindsetHorizon.com, and in the main menu on the top of the site, you will find a button that says MindsetNation, and there you can join the global community of like-minded listeners. I'm super excited to welcome you and connect with you in the Facebook group. And now, let me introduce today's guest. So my guest today is Stephen Hayes, who is a Nevada Foundation professor of psychology at the University of Nevada, an author of 46 books and nearly 650 scientific articles. He's especially known for his work on how human cognition leads to human suffering, and he has applied this to acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, which is one of the most widely used and researched new methods of psychological intervention over the last 20 years. Dr. Hayes has received several national awards, such as the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapy. His popular book, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life, for a time was the best-selling self-help book in the United States, and his new book, A Liberated Mind, has been recently released to wide acclaim. His TEDx talks have been viewed by over 600,000 people, and he is ranked among the most cited psychologists in the world. 
At the beginning of today's episode, we talk about Stephen's journey with psychology, his purpose, and we talk about mental health, a leading cause to many different disabilities. In the middle and closer to the end of the episode, we dive deeper into psychological flexibility, what it is and how we can develop it, and we also talk about the deepest yearnings human beings have. One of the yearnings we elaborate on is belonging and connection. In the end, Stephen recommends many amazing books to the listeners. If you want to find out more about today's guest, then check out the free resources, book recommendations, and detailed show notes. Simply head over to our website, mindsethorizon.com forward slash podcast. That's again, mindsethorizon.com forward slash podcast. You can also use the search bar on our website where you can simply type in Stephen Hayes to find the episode's show notes page. And so Mindset Nation, without any further ado, let's welcome today's incredible guest, Hi, Stephen, and welcome to the Mindset Horizon podcast. Well, thanks for having me here. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, I'm super excited to have you on. I was I was excited to prepare for the conversation. You're an author of 46 books. <laughs> we are going to talk about one of them today, which is The Liberated Mind. I'm super excited to dive into this topic. But I wanted to start this conversation with your journey to some extent. I know it's a long journey, but I, I watched your TEDx talk on how love turns pain into purpose. And I was I was touched when you were talking about you talking to your you know former version of yourself, talking to your younger self. I was like, wow. <laughs> and I think you've mentioned psychology becoming your purpose or realizing that psychology is part of your purpose. So would you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I was interested from the beginning in in sort of how we can use psychology to go beyond just problems, but to prosperity. I mean, I was interested in peak experiences and high performers and things like that. But uh, in my own journey of, uh, you know, trying to find a way to bridge that gap between science and being able to make a difference in that way. Uh, I ran into a, a serious mental health problem. I mean, I, I developed a panic disorder while I was a young academic, untenured, well, and it, it sort of spiraled the way that it spirals into a, a place where I almost couldn't give a, a lecture to five undergraduates. And uh, wow. that put me into a kind of a gut check moment where some of the things that I've learned in evidence-based care, you know, the things that are known in behavior therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, et cetera, just wasn't enough to deal with uh, what was going on within me. And it turned out there was some deep stuff having to do with domestic violence in my home, some things that were there that I had almost suppressed, traumatic kinds of things and so forth. But I didn't know that at the time. What I knew is that I couldn't speak, that I couldn't breathe. I couldn't just sit inside my own skin. And um, uh, eventually hit bottom thinking that I'm having a, a heart attack and I'm having just another panic attack. And I tell that story in one of the TEDx talks the, uh, that are out there. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and, and what I found was that when I turned toward things that I had learned about you're talking to an old hippie, you know, grew up in California and so forth. When I turned more towards some of the wisdom traditions, spiritual traditions, things that now are just every day, people talk about mindfulness just in routine conversations. But at the time, this seemed far, far away from anything that was science-based. 
I finally got traction on it. And, and I thought, how strange is that? So I spent my life trying to unpack, trying to sort of hack the human mind, come up with a theory that would explain even what a word is, how language works, how cognition works, and did that. And it's now there for young children who can't speak and for kids learning how to read and all kinds of cool stuff. But it's also now helped bring uh, that knowledge over into why is it so hard to be human? I mean, why are we the ones who are able to do all these spectacular, wonderful things? I mean, look what we're doing right now, Tiber. We're talking to each other across space in real time yes, because of our ability as a human community with our logical problem-solving minds to do these incredible things. And yet that exact same repertoire, that exact same ability can turn on you and tell you that life is not worth living or that you're unlovable. Or wow. that, uh, you know, uh, uh, what are you going to do about this anxiety in such a way that you end up actually creating a problem, not solving it? So that's the conundrum. Uh, the reason why it's hard to be human is it's right inside the reason why we've been so spectacularly successful. And we better learn how to ride this tiger because now our young people are showing with anxiety, stress, etc., that you need modern minds to survive in this modern world that we've created. Wow, that's really interesting. And in your book, A Liberated Mind, you dive deeper into this whole concept. And uh, also you've, men you've mentioned there that uh, mental problems or mental health issues are becoming, or is it already the number one leading cause of... Um, well, disability, work absences, et cetera, you know, went from back pain and various kinds of physical things. And down there, you know, four or five, you had things like depression. No, mm -hmm. not number one. Over 20 years, just walked up as number one. And, it, and it's not slowing down. It's going up. And so what's happened is we've created kind of a train wreck of doing logical, reasonable, sensible, and pathological things. Because what your mind tells you to do with anxiety and depression and trauma and urges and substance use, etc., what it tells you to do is almost always unguided wrong. It's almost always unguided harmful. It'll tell you to run away. It'll tell you to fight. It'll tell you to watch out. It'll tell you to try to diminish. It'll try to subtract. Well, that's logical if you're dealing with dirt on the floor or there's peeling paint on your walls. But when you're dealing with things that are in your own history, what are you going to subtract? What are, you, are you praying for a brain injury? Are you praying for a lobotomy? I mean, what are you going to subtract? There's no delete button in the nervous system. Mm. This conversation we're having right now will show up even in your epigenes. It's going to change even how your body expresses the genes you've been given. Wow. Never mind what's going to happen if it's powerful enough as it echoes out through the weeks and months to follow. I mean, literally, your life may be different and the people listening to this may be different because of this conversation. But there's no delete button. If you were learning something that was really harmful, like, oh, I don't know, if you had a critical parent telling, them telling you that they're so, so sad you were ever born because you made their life miserable... That will never leave your head. It has no place to go. So 
it's not the same situation as our problem-solving mind has come up to. It's much more like the situation of what would happen tonight if you saw a sunset and said, wow, and you had very little else to say. Or if you had a crying child in front of you talking about something really horrible that happened, and you would say the same thing. You'd say, wow. You wouldn't say snap out of it. But if you look into the person in the mirror, this you know, you will easily say snap out of it. You'll slap yourself about the head and ears and do things that make everything worse. Wow, uh, this is really interesting. And uh, especially, you know, when I read in your bio that you are known for your work on how human cognition leads to human suffering, I was like, we're going to have an interesting conversation here. But um, more importantly, in your book, you talk about psychological flexibility. And I wanted to, you know, talk about this, what psychological flexibility is and how we can develop it. Yeah, it's actually something that you know about from experience and it's in our culture. But science does is it doesn't, especially behavioral science, create brand new things, but it helps filter out what's useful and leave the rest. So it, it kind of simplifies your task in a way when science is doing a good job. It does that. You have these high precision, high scope ideas. And psychological flexibility has six aspects, just like sides of a box. There's six sides of the box, but it's really one box and it all fits together and each supports the other. Um, you know, without walking through the six, I can simplify it into three and then we'll break it up, which is learning how to be more open with your thoughts, feelings, memories, and bodily sensations, learning how to be more aware of what's going on inside and out in the present moment from this more pure awareness part of you, the part of you that's metaphorically behind your eyes, not the story you tell or the persona or the, you know, the makeup you put on, not your role, but mm -hmm. consciousness mm -hmm. itself. And then as you're more open and more aware to be able to bring your attention in a flexible, fluid and voluntary way to what you deeply care about. And by that, I mean not the goals or aspirations you have, but the qualities you want to reveal in what you actually do and then build habits around that. Mm -hmm. And so open, aware, and actively engaged in life. Uh, there's sub features to that uh, that we can get into, but those three, and they collapse into one, which is basically to be able to show up and move forward with your history as it is, not as your mind tells you it has to be for life can start because your problem solving mind says this would be really great if, and then what it's about to tell you is someplace that is not where you are right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like I would really be great in the business work I do if I'm not anxious. Well, that's itself, by the way, is a pretty anxiety provoking thought. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. I better not be anxious. Ooh, or otherwise, uh, I'm not going to do a good job of this thing I really want to do. I mean, I really, uh, well, if I told you something bad might happen soon, if you're not up to, up to some challenge, are you going to be feeling something other than anxious? I don't think so. So, so we, we're constantly, artificially, pumping in things that are hard for us and not learning how to deal with the challenges we have in a way that's healthy, which is really something more like 
If you have salty water, pour in fresh water. Don't try to get tweezers to pull out the salt crystals. If you, if there's things going on that are difficult, you know, put that in the context of a, of a growing, expanding values-based life, and it'll actually help you. A little bit of salt and water actually makes it tastier, but you don't want to just be drinking distilled water. Metaphorically, it's the same way. What your mind's telling you to do is you can start living when you're distilled water. It's just not going to happen. Mm, All those wow. sad things that happen, those traumas, they're coming with you. They're sitting in the back seat and they're never leaving. What are you going to do about that? Uh, I think one of your suggestions was to face them or or move toward them. Yes. Well, I, and many of us kind of intuitively know this. I tell this the story in um, a liberated mind of dreams I had with a kid when dinosaurs were would come to my house and look in the windows and, and big Tyrannosaurus Rex. And I got so afraid and eventually I'd have to run from the house. And then we'd have, I'd have these running dreams, you know, no matter how fast you run, you can't run fast enough. And no matter what you turn, you know, the dinosaurs are going to catch you. And finally, when the Tyrannosaurus Rex would bite me, I would wake up. Yeah. Well, in one of these uh, dreams as a, as a, I call it probably six years old. I don't know. I mean, pretty young. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had the thought, you know, if I ran towards the dinosaur and jumped in its mouth, I'd wake up, which I did. And sure enough, I woke up. And then it's kind of stuck with me. And within about a week, maybe two, uh, the creatures from the Jurassic no longer wanted to play. They just didn't go up. And we... You know, most people know this. You've had experiences where if you let go or move towards, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it opens up. But the problem is, is that your problem-solving mind doesn't get it because it's a move that's more like, wow, what a beautiful sunset, instead of, ooh, too much pink. And the problem-solving mind is being fed so hugely now because it's so hugely useful to us and our educational system is so focused on it and needs to be in the technological modern world that we're in that uh, without good training about how to put that mind on a leash it'll it'll just run you right off the edge of a cliff it'll tell you that you'll get away from the dinosaur when you run fast enough you're not going to get away from the dinosaur Turn towards it, see what happens, and you may be really surprised what sadness is like when you embrace it, what loss is like when you appreciate it, you know, what pain is like when you show up to it, what fear is like when you observe it. Uh, it works differently than what your mind tells you it's going to do, but you know it. Yeah. One, one way that I, I prove people that they know it kind of give you a, a little exercise we do sometimes show me with your body you at your worst with a particular issue you know as if you were sculpting your body so that i could see from the outside what's going on inside now with the same exact issue because it's not always that bad show me same exact issue you at your best We're about to publish this study where we've taken pictures of people around the world, you know, wearing burkas, you know, wearing loincloths and around the world. Yeah. Here's what people do when you say you at your worst. Their head comes up, their eyes open, their arms and hands go out. They might stand up, put their, their feet apart. 
here's what happens when you say you at your worst. Head comes down, eyes closed, buckle at the center, fists clenched, bring your knees up towards your chest. How did you know to do that? Everybody. I mean, this, this, they show a more open posture and a more, it, it, when it's you at your best and a more closed and defended posture, you at your worst. Everybody. Wow. Around the world. Well, how do you, you already knew it. I mean, I just said, what, what's psychological flexibility? Being open, aware, and actively engaged. How are you going to be aware? Open your eyes. How are you going to be open? It's literally stand up and op- open up actively engaged, let your arms and hands do something and your feet do something other than get in a fetal position with your fists clenched. But metaphorically, that's what your mind tells you to do is to run or flop or fail or hide. And what you need to do is show up. That's really interesting. And uh, before we dive into those open and three pivots, I would say, but you've mentioned you talk about six pivots in the book, right? So diffusion, self, acceptance, presence, values, action. I don't know if we will have time for all of those, but I wanted to get back to this human suffering. And um, there's something you mentioned in the book, which is we have this yearning, right? For different things. This is one thing I, I actually experienced in my life very strongly since especially I started this podcast and you started this conversation, or you've mentioned one thing in the beginning, which is, you know, we are using this amazing technology and one of the reasons i was i started this podcast was i wanted to connect with people i wanted to connect with others learn from them but you know having been doing the podcast for a year now and having been conducting remote interviews i realized that connecting with people you know online or doing just an audio recording is not the same as for example connecting with someone in person uh, which is, I kind of like have the connection, but I don't. And I know that in uh, one of the things that you talk about is belonging and and connection. I don't think you've, you mentioned connection, but belonging was huge in my life in the last four years. I was working in Germany. I was moving around. I was changing jobs, started my own thing. And I felt that very strongly. So... Um, what are some of these yearnings humans have? Well, what's in the liberated mind is the science of psychological flexibility. And each of the six inflexibility processes, mm-hmm. uh, I discovered or realized somewhere in here, and it's the core of the book, contains a need or a yearning that you're trying to solve. You're not deliberately trying to make yourself miserable. You're yeah. trying to get something that you really care about. And the way the inflexibility and flexibility processes have been developed in the act, acceptance and commitment therapy work, you know, the kind of hack that we brought to the human mind is that we distilled down the things that you do that get you in that cul-de-sac, those six core things, which Mm -hmm. are basically to get entangled with your thoughts, avoidance of your feelings, no longer able to attend to the present adopt a kind of persona that it's a mask or a a kind of conceptualization about how you're supposed to be and how you relate to others, and then try to substitute goals for values and uh, do it by springing forth from the head of Zeus. Uh, Those six processes of of inability to sort of show up to your thoughts and feelings in the present moment and focus on what's important and get going the inflexibility side are paired with flexibility ones. So 
let's take this one of belonging and I'll show you how the pairing works. Okay. Okay. You know, we're, we're the social primates. If we, we have such a long developmental history as, as babies and so forth, if we're not cared for, if we're not part of the band or troop, we die. If we get cast out of the troop, even as an, an adult, you know, your, your risk of, of death is much higher. You know, if you look in the eyes of a, a neonate, a brand new, fresh out of the oven baby, and look that baby in the eye, the baby starts dumping natural opiates in its brain, and so do you. The only other creature that does that is dogs, and we've been hanging around with them for a long time. By the way, both the dog and the humans does the same thing when they look at each other. But now, why would you want that? Because you want that, that these natural opiates are basically saying, I want to be connected. Well, because the, it's essential to us to be connected. We're the social primates. We're the tribal primates. We work because we can, we live because we can cooperate and work together. What is up, Mindset Nation? I hope you guys are enjoying today's episode, and we're going to get back to this conversation very soon after thanking to our sponsors. I'm immensely grateful for each and every one of you who tuned into this podcast today, the Mindset Horizon podcast. And if you feel like you're getting value out of these conversations and want to learn more about mindset, entrepreneurship, or podcasting, or simply you want to hang out with other like-minded listeners, I would highly encourage you to join the Mindset Nation Facebook group, a global community of Mindset Horizon, where I'm there every single day to answer your questions, either if it's connected to the podcast, episode topics, or if it's connected to your goals and aspirations in life and business, I am there to support you for free every single day. On top of all that, I go live every Thursday for at least 30 minutes so that we can get to know each other even more. I can answer your questions or teach you more about mindset, entrepreneurship, content marketing, branding, or podcasting. You can join the Mindset Nation community at mindsethorizon.com forward slash mindset nation. Once again, mindsethorizon.com forward slash mindset nation. Or simply go to our website, mindsethorizon.com. And in the main menu on the top of the site, you will find a button that says Mindset Nation. And there you can join the global community of like-minded listeners. I'm super excited to welcome you and connect with you in the Facebook group. And until then, be limitless, my friend. As a mission and impact-driven entrepreneur, thought leader, visionary, and changemaker, have you ever thought of increasing your online visibility, building credibility, and scaling your impact and business by starting your own podcast? If you've answered this question with hell yeah, now this is your chance. According to Edison Research in the US, podcasting is one of the fastest growing medium. So if you're ready to start your own podcast, build credibility and scale your impact and business, I have good news for you. I provide one-on-one mentoring and group coaching programs where I teach how to start your own epic podcast from scratch, build credibility and scale your online presence and business. You can read more about these services at mindsethorizon.com forward slash podcast mentoring. That's again, mindsethorizon.com forward slash podcast mentoring. On top of all that, I provide a 30-minute free discovery call where we can see if podcasting is something that can help you scale your brand and business. You can book a free discovery call with me at mindsethorizon.com forward slash free call. That's again, mindsethorizon.com forward slash free call. 
or simply shoot me an email at tibor at mindsethorizon.com. That's T-I-B-O-R, Tibor at mindsethorizon.com. So Mindset Nation, without any further ado, let's get back to today's Mindset Transforming Conversation. Often in com- competition with other bands and tribes, it's not all flowers that won't be turning this into violence and flowers. I mean, wars and so forth are, can be part of it. But, you know, as the, as the troop keeps getting bigger, eventually in the whole human community is the us we need to focus on. But we start with that moment of yearning to belong and connect that's there at birth. Wow. But when, when language comes along, which comes out of cooperation, which comes from that, the pivot point that we found in our research on language is being able to learn something in one direction and drive it in two, like have a name for a cup. And then when you say cup that you'd look around the room and find it. 12 month old babies will do that. There's no controlled examples of non-human animals doing that. 30 years of trying to get them to do it, even the language trained chimps, they don't do it. They learn it in one. You have to teach them in two. You have to teach if this is a cup, a cup is this. True with your baby. When they see that object and hear the name and have enough exemplars, they do have to learn it. They eventually now just hearing the name will orient towards the object. And that's the beginning of a long journey of not just same as, but different from, which comes in around 16 months, opposite to, better than. And it 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 can be applied to anything. It's wonderful. There's nothing about the word cup that makes it go with a cup. We can put anything in any combination. And then you learn it in one, you drive it in two, but then you can put it into networks, cognitive networks that will change what you do. And that's wonderful. If you do the math on it, it means if you have eight events with terms that relate to them, you can generate 4,000 possible relationships between the events, the names, and the relations themselves. So this explosion that happens with cognition where you know, babies start just like, wow, right in front of you, like knowing stuff you didn't teach them. Well, you did teach them. You taught them, for example, an unfamiliar name probably goes with an unfamiliar object. They learned that and learned to derive that. And then they learned to begin to put things together. But now here's the problem. That wonderful evolutionarily recent adaptation, a couple hundred thousand to 2.8 million years old, we know it can't be older than that because the, the chimps don't do it. And so we had a common ancestor 2.8 million years ago. Now is crashing up with things like learning by association, learning by direct experience, memory, etc. That's half a billion years old. Association, operant classical conditioning. Like if you were shocked in the presence of something and now you avoided it or, or you smelled something and then something horrible happened and now that smell makes you kind of almost wince. That's half a billion years old. So we got this new kid on the block, only a couple hundred thousand or a couple million years old, clashing up with things that are a thousand times older. And so what has happened with belonging? We have the yearning for belonging. It's built in there. But then that little sweet baby, that innocent baby who just does stuff that makes you want to love and care for him, belonging is not the issue, right? I mean, you want that to cuddle and hold and put that baby out. It's three years old, four years old. And let me ask you a question. How old were you when you first had the thought that maybe you don't belong? Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you're not smart enough. Maybe you're not lovable. 
Maybe you're not wanted. Maybe you won't succeed. And I bet you, you weren't even going to school yet before you first had that thought. And if, if you made it to school, God bless you. But, you know, you're not getting through middle school. You're not getting, come on. So <laughs> what the mind then tells you to do is, okay, I got a way that I'll belong. I'll be special. They'll need me. Or I'll be a special, especially needy. And then they'll include me. Both of those have this core idea of I'll belong when I'm special, especially needy, especially good. Well, you know, excuse me, if you're special, that means in some ways you're different. And if you're different enough, even if you're brought into the group, are you really fully in the group? And by the way, you could probably be thrown out of the group if you make a mistake. You get into this conditional, you know, I don't belong as a birthright. It's never it's always at the at the risk of being ripped away from you at every any moment. So it's really hard for us the so here to come back to the pivot. This yearning for belonging turns into the conceptualized self and the conceptualized other, the story that you tell, the persona you adopt, and you start faking it. You start pretending. You start not letting people see what's going on in the insides for fear that you'll be rejected. You start feeling like a fraud. You're constantly on the lookout for people sort of getting behind the curtain and knowing who's really going on. What does that mean? It means you feel alone. You feel disconnected. So it produces the exact opposite of what you're trying to produce. The pivot is to take that energy towards belonging and say, what really brings me that sense of connection? And it's in your experience. It's pure awareness part of you connecting with the pure awareness of others. The more mature version of the mama's eyes looking at that baby. And you've experienced it. You've looked in the eyes of a lover and felt so connected that the two of you blend in some way. I bet you that has happened to you. You felt a kind of a, not as unhealthy kind of thing. It's not unhealthy. It's not like you're losing yourself in, in, in some sort of creepy or insane way. No, you, you're entering into the we of human consciousness. So how do we belong? It's right here, right now. It's in this conversation. It belongs in the connection of consciousness that's there. And the reason why I think what you're saying that the technological version versus the personal version is harder, is that real sense of perspective, of shared, uh, of I'm seeing you, seeing me, seeing you, that shared consciousness uh, is is a lot more evident when we're in physical presence with people, harder across the wires to really sense it. But uh, that's what we yearn for. And what we do in the act work is we, help people find that part of themselves. And then in their business work or mental health work or dealing with physical disease work, or whatever, bring that deeper sense of self to life's moments in which belonging is now intrinsic. It's not earned. It's a birthright. And uh, that allows you to be your whole self, including parts of you that are hard to share, things that you've done, mistakes you've made, things you feel ashamed about. 
that will actually help connect you to others. They, they're, they're doing the same thing. And we're all walking around with these secrets. But the big joke is we have the same secrets. Wow. That's such an interesting topic. And it triggers so much thoughts and ideas and so much experiences and memories in me right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and talking about, you know, feeling feeling this belonging or connection through technology or having a remote recording or call is is interesting because i don't know maybe it's just a construct that i can have a deeper sense of uh feeling when i connect with someone in person and uh to be honest with you what i wanted to say is that i think belonging is a huge drive for me because for example i wanted to take this show to the next level by entering people in person for example and i i kind of like you know figured that the reason for that was the the connection so the in-person connection yeah. and i just read that you know happiness there's a huge correlation to happiness with with the in-person connection factor sure. so but it's it's just an example i wanted to share connected to belonging because i think that's a really interesting topic and we dove deeper there and you've mentioned for example you know, experience, right? So the, the belonging is in, is in the experience. So what do you mean by experience? Well, to be able to actually sense, perceive, remember, open up to, you know, what is actually happening in the moments uh, of, of your life. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, we come into the world prepared to feel, to explore, to sense to remember we need to because we have so many things to learn but you just watch it again back to a neonate you know at the point at which they finally can reach out and grasp things they're going to taste it smell it lick it you know they're gonna Mm -hmm. you know even in ways that are unsafe parents are trying to keep them from doing things because they they're so interested in exploring and sensing and feeling and uh you know but then when the mind really gets going that yearning to feel that we come into to a life with I mean, we come and it's still there. There's not a single emotion that you can name that you don't pay good money to produce. Not yeah. one. Sadness, you buy sad novels. Fear, you ride roller coasters. You know, there's not a single one you can name. But when things sort of happen out of the box, you don't feel in control, blah, blah, blah. Your mind says, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You want to feel. But here's the what you really what you need to do you can feel as long as you feel good mm-hmm. what i mean by good is evaluating it as good in other words the cognition the interpretation back to that core thing of uh, this new uh, thing of symbolic learning or relational learning that uh, happened says i'm the master of that i'll decide which ones we feel we're going to feel the good ones well if you try to just feel the good ones it means you have to avoid the bad ones Avoiding bad ones doesn't feel good, by the way. I can tell you that as a panic disordered person in recovery. Yeah, wow. But the other thing is, is that there's lots and lots of information inside feelings that are not categorized as good, that are wonderful. I mean, if if it's wonderful to weep at the death of a friend, it's not that you would hope for the death, but would you would you not feel how important it is to witness the love you had for your friend by the sadness you feel when he or she is gone. Isn't that a wonderful capacity to be able to feel that deeply about another human being? 
Yeah, but your mind says, I don't want that. I want sugar soup. I want yeah. treacle. I want happy, happy, joy, joy. Well, you know, I can take you down to 4th Street and we can buy a bag or something that'll give you happy, happy, joy, joy. I mean, when the earliest act trials, I'm thinking of a guy who had to face the fact that he was high on heroin, lying on the couch while his daughter was being perpetrated on the back bedroom, and he knew it, and he felt so good he couldn't get up off the couch. So, you know, feel good doesn't mean live good. Just look around you. Wake up. I mean, maybe what commercial culture is trying to sell you, but it isn't what your life tells you is what brings meaning and purpose and wholeness and vitality to your life. There's a place for all those emotions, all those memories, all those sensations. So that's hard on us because our logical mind says, no, I just want the good stuff. What we found in our research is eventually if you avoid the bad stuff, you have to avoid the good stuff too. Mm -hmm. You wow. actually end up the point where joy is a threat and you can kind of feel it. Take somebody who's really fearful of rejection and betrayal. Why? Because they've been betrayed in love, let's say. And now a new relationship shows up and you first have this inkling that it could be special. And there's this little voice inside you that starts saying, or actually screaming, run away. <laughs> Doesn't everybody know that? I mean, you can feel it because if you can't open up to the pain of that past betrayal, you can't risk giving yourself over to allowing somebody to be close to you. Because why? They can hurt you there. You know that. You can't have the hurt. You can't have the, the joy. You can't have the love. You can't have the connection. So it, there's wow. these paradoxical things that are just built into very this evolutionary much. mismatch between judgmental language and this yeah. more experiential historical process that we're on called life. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a great example. And so I just wanted to ask you, what would be one practice that someone could do to get out of this paradox, so to speak? So, In the liberated mind, I have many, many exercises around each of these six pivots. Yeah. These inflexibility processes that contain a positive energy or yearning inside them. We've only covered two so far, belonging and feeling, that paired are handled or mismanaged by the logical mind, but mm -hmm, can, mm -hmm. can take that energy and whip it around just like the pivot in a hinge. You know, you push one way, the door goes the other way. You can whip it around and move it towards an expanding mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And I give many exercises and examples of how to do that and then link to other ways to build it out because there's a vast literature on act self-help uh you know millions of act books that are in uh, in print now but a liberated mind gives you kind of a so as an example if you take uh, something like uh this uh, uh, yearning to feel <laughs> and this issue of belonging I'll name one which is a little advanced, but let's see if people can uh, can open up to it, which is to take an area where something is joyful and connected. And it would necessarily have to be a person. It could be a place. It could be a beautiful lake. Or it could be a, 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 a you know, a, an experience that you had. Yeah, yeah. And to 
actually sit and kind of focus on that and then open up. This will sound odd, but trust me on this. Open another, up another channel of attention and see if you can find loss in there. See if you can find in the moment of looking at a sunset, the thought of this may not happen again this way. Or I wish you were here to see this. Or sometimes I don't look carefully at sunsets. What's wrong with me? Or, I mean, right inside the sweetness, you'll feel that there's as this other part of loss. Now, here's the thing I'd ask you to do is to actually take a time, take some moments to kind of breathe in the loss and instead of push it away, to, to bring it to you like you would a crying child who'd, had, who'd lost something. Of treating yourself with a kindness that you would treat a child if he or she was in a painful moment. And here's the thing. Notice what your body does. Notice what your mind does. Notice what memories show up. Notice that loss is like a team. It's like a collection. And see if you can, with each thing that you notice, sort of bring it in, almost like inhaling, like, like, and describe it. So Mm -hmm. you observe it, describe it. Now I'm feeling this, and bring it in. I'll give you an acronym. Describe what you observe and inhale it and now transform it. To transform it is this way. Inside that loss is also a yearning or a connection to where you started, which is for appreciation, for beauty, for belonging, for connection, for achievement, for competence, for something. There's something in there before the loss. And it will, just like a, a yo-yo, you know, like when you do that, that move where it comes towards you and then you flip it out again, if you've ever played that. Yeah. See if you can, as you bring it in, use it as kind of a guide for what does that suggest to me that I deeply care about? If I'm going to carry that loss, what's the wisdom inside the loss? If I'm going to bring in that pain, if I'm going to remember that time, and you may find, for example, in the tears of loss of a friend, how important having loving relationships are to you. That's not your enemy. And it's right there in your sadness. But if you don't bring it in and you don't take the time to inhale it, then you can't lovingly sort of take that energy and put it out and transform it. So the acronym would be describe what you observe inhale it and transform it lovingly towards what brings meaning and purpose in your life. And the acronym would be do it lovingly, describe what you observe, inhale it, transform it lovingly. Try that as a little exercise. I actually have recordings and so forth. I've got a recent uh, thing that's an outfit called Sounds True has put out. That's a, a an audible book and also a, um, uh, some uh, you can get it in CDs if anybody still plays those. Uh, it's up on Amazon. It's just under my name, but it has some exercises like that. Of wow. Bringing in what your mind says you can't have, and then finding what's of importance inside that, and then pivoting that energy out. Wow, that's 
That's really interesting and a really exciting exercise. Thank you so much for sharing that. I want to be respectful of your time. So as we are getting closer to the end of this episode, I wanted to ask you about book recommendations. So besides your book, A Liberated Mind, do you have anything that you would recommend to the listeners? I'm reading a lot in evolution science and you can see it kind of uh, leaking out. So I I, I really uh, like uh, Eva Jablonka's and uh, her her colleague, uh, uh, her first name, but Lamb is her last name. Jabonka and Lamb's book on evolution in four dimensions. I, I like David Sloan's Wilson's book, um, Evolution for Everyone, or he has a new one called This View of Life. Because mm-hmm. I think we can appreciate that, that some of these problems we're struggling with are part of a larger evolutionary history. You know, it, it, we don't come with a rule book. And so when we get it wrong, it's because. It's hard to get it right, and we've only been at this for a few hundred thousand years, and in really high-level ways. I mean, Western science is just an eye blink old, and written yeah. language just an eye blink, and so forth. So th- those are those are two. But if you're interested in, I know you have a lot of uh, folks who are high performers and doing work with um, entrepreneurs and so forth, and I've I've been increasingly involved with that, doing work with professional sports and uh, with. Wow. Uh, CEOs and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, the mental performance coaching is really fun. I, I went to spring training. Unfortunately, Hogan shut it down. They were the professional baseball team. The Toronto Blue Jays are kind of all act all the time in their performance coaching. But anyway, there's a book uh, called The Mindful and Effective Employee uh, by uh, Paul uh, Flaxman and uh, Frank Bond. And what it does is walk through how you can use ACT as part of stress management, but also leadership development in a business setting. Because there's really nice evidence that uh, some of the processes we're talking about, if you create work environments that support psychological flexibility, psychologically flexible workers will be able to help your business succeed. And if you bring it in your leadership and management styles, uh, kind of like the transformational leadership kinds of things that people talk about. The you'll see a deep resonance between the things I'm talking about and how to actually manage groups. If I could manage, add one more because you mentioned a liberated mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is I have a new book called Pro Social with uh, my colleague David Sloan Wilson, who's the author of Evolution for Everyone, is an evolutionary biologist, and uh, with uh, Paul Atkins. Wow. <laughs> uh, and, and ProSocial combines Eleanor Ostrom's Nobel Prize winning uh, core design principles. She won it in economics by showing that groups can work together to behave prosocially with regard to common pool resources and succeed for thousands of years without any government intervention or without private ownership. So, without the invisible hand, without command and control, but only if you work together in particular ways. And so uh, that book, ProSocial, walks through how to create work groups and other groups that use these Nobel Prize winning uh, principles to form your group, but also psychological flexibility. And that combination gives you a new way forward to create um, work teams and so forth that predict the success of uh, businesses and entrepreneurial efforts and so forth so that maybe that's a self-recommendation if i can get away with that uh, <laughs> book 
Uh, is a great place to start, but pro-social, the very last chapter is about pro-social and social transformation and what's going on with ACT. Thanks so much for sharing that. It's really great for the listeners. And before I ask my last question, please tell the listeners where they can find you online. What's the best way to connect with you? Well, if you want to follow me and you want to get my newsletter and all that kind of stuff, just go to stephenchayes.com. Stephen with a V, middle initial C, my middle name is Charlie, H-A-Y-E-S, all one word, no periods, stephenchayes.com. And um, on the landing page, it'll say, yes, please send it to me. And what that will do is I'll send you a little seven uh, lesson, uh, what is ACT, kind of little mini course. Mm -hmm. And you'll get my newsletter. I don't spam people. And uh, if you don't like it, it's a one-click opt-out. And you can wander around that website and see there's some freebies you can get from a liberated mind. There's resources for how to take tests to see how psychological flexibility, how psychologically flexible you are and, uh, you know, get some uh, resources that will uh, be of help to you. So the the website's useful, even if you don't click on, yes, please send it to (laughs) explore it. But if you want to give up your email list, I'd be happy to email you stuff that uh, summarizes my work and, and that whole community, there's 9,000 professionals in our community spread around the world with 27 different chapters. So I may have lit the match, but I didn't build the bonfire. Uh, you know, thousands of people around the world have done that. Wow, that's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And the links are going to be in the show notes and available on our website, mindsethorizon.com forward slash podcast. And my last question is, what is your mission and what is your future vision i'm trying to spend my life to help create a behavioral science that's more worthy of the challenge of the human condition and so what i'm trying to do is to take uh, a science into human complexity without any sense of minimizing and i hope you've heard that kind of just in the conversation that i've had i'm not interested in oh that's only this or whatever i don't want to turn us into cartoons yeah, yeah. The history of the world shows that when Western science gets on something, and I think we're finally on to it with these core processes of change, and then uh, the flexibility distills it down to just six. It's not everything, but it's the 20% that does the 80%. That really helps you distill through, think through, sort through all the kind of stuff that you're hearing about do this, do that. And there's a cacophony of voices out there. And yeah, and yeah. I want to simplify that and focus it. And frankly, I want to bring it in underneath evolution science. I think behavioral science belongs as part of the life sciences and that evolutionary theory, not genes made me do it, but variation, selection, retention in context is the right way to think about how to evolve cultures, how to evolve your own life, how to evolve a family life and so forth. So I'm hopeful that uh, we can find a different way of doing the psychological sciences that are more immediately relevant to human beings and don't have this sense of missing the point or making things more complex. I want things to be made easier. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. What a what a vision. What a what a mission. And uh Thank you so much for the work that you're doing and thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing all these great insights. I really enjoyed and it's been a great pleasure. Thank you. It was a great opportunity for me to thank you so much for letting me do it. 
We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Mindset Horizon podcast. For more information and resources based on today's discussion, be sure to head to our website, MindsetHorizon.com, where you'll also have the ability to join the Mindset Nation community for more insight and empowerment to help you reach your full potential. That's all available exclusively on MindsetHorizon.com.